Welcome to the podcast from Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Mackenzie campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. Hey, it's, uh, it's brilliant that you're here with us and I, I hope this morning that you're expectant and excited as we open God's Word together. We've been doing this journey uh, that we began last week uh, in our, uh, our theme of salvation for the year. And we've begun a journey going through the book of Exodus. I hope you've enjoyed uh, being in your life group this week and, uh, and connecting around uh, this whole story of Exodus, this story where, where God brings salvation to His people. And uh, it's, a, it's an incredible story that, uh, that, that God has saved people from slavery and saved them for a life of worship and service to Him. And it's a, it's a really great story as we go through the book of Exodus and we continue that this morning. But other than God Himself, the central character in this story is a bloke by the name of Moses. And this morning we're going to dive a little deeper into Moses' story uh, and how God called him and, and how Moses responds. And I, I think we might find that we actually have a little bit in common with Moses. And I, I believe this morning that God wants to encourage us and inspire us this morning through his story. So uh, why don't we begin? Let me pray. Father God, thank you so much for the opportunity to gather together this morning. Father, thank you that you have called us to be part of this family. And Lord, we, uh, we pray this morning that you would, uh, you would reveal um, your truth, your encouragement to us through your word. Father, would you, uh, would you speak to us this morning? We recognise that you are right here amongst us. Help us to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Cool. So, so Moses was born into a, a time and an era when the Hebrew people, the, the race that he was part of, were being persecuted and oppressed. The Hebrews had been slaves in Egypt for generations, and under the current rule of the atrocities and the human rights abuses were increasing. The Hebrew race continued to expand and grow, and Pharaoh was being threatened. So he decreed that all Hebrew boys must be executed on birth by being drowned in the Nile. Now, these, those are easy words to say, but just imagine the horror and the injustice of that reality for a moment. It's crazy. Now, when Moses was born, his, his mother had a plan to save him. She wove together a basket that protected and, and preserved Moses as he was thrown into the Nile. And then his, that basket sort of floated down the, the, the river and ended up finding its way into some reeds on the, on the bank of the river where Pharaoh's daughter was. And she saw this baby and, uh, and uh, I reckon she probably wanted to have a son. And so she picked Moses up and, and welcomed him into her family. But she needed someone to feed and to, to help care for Moses in his early years. And so she unwittingly enlisted the help of Moses' real mother to come and, and to care for Moses. We're not really sure how long Moses and his real mother lived alongside one another, but some pointers in Egyptian culture suggest that he may have lived with her for five or even six years, certainly long enough for him to get at least a basic understanding of his history, his background and his identity as a Hebrew. 
But then Moses' mother left and, and Moses became a regular part of Pharaoh's household. Growing up to be someone with a, a level of, of power and authority in that nation. In the New Testament, which is a funny place to start as we're reading through Exodus, but in the New Testament, Moses is referenced in a speech that one of Jesus' followers, Stephen, gave to the Jewish rulers of his day. In Acts chapter 7, um, Stephen says this about Moses. He says, Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. Moses was educated, he was wise, and note that he was powerful in speech and action. Yet Moses also had an appreciation of his own cultural identity, his connection with the Hebrew people. And seeing their enslavement by the Egyptians and the brutality that they were subjected to, the oppression that they were being forced to live with, Moses one day decided to try and do something about it. Stephen again says in Acts chapter 7, when Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian, so he went to his defence and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. This is really interesting, this part. Moses thought that his own people would realise that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. Now, that last little snippet that Stephen includes, that's not included in the book of Exodus. But I think there's something really important here. See, at the age of 40, I wonder whether Moses had a sense of the purpose, had a sense of the destiny that God was calling him to. He realised that there was something significant about being a Hebrew in Pharaoh's house. Perhaps he already had a sense that God could use his influence and his authority to save the Hebrew people. And in this moment, as he watched an Egyptian beating up one of his own, maybe Moses saw this as the beginning of the revolution. That perhaps through this act, God would set in plan, uh, a, a plan to use Moses to bring salvation to his people. And both Exodus and Acts tell us what happened the very next day. Moses saw two Hebrews fighting and he tried to set them straight. I wonder if Moses thought, here is my moment to become their leader. Here is my chance to take the next step in this revolution. Did he believe in that moment that salvation was near? But it didn't turn out the way he'd hoped. Exodus 2 verse 14 tells us, the Hebrew men turned to Moses and said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you not thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian you did yesterday? We don't want your help, Moses. You're not our boss. You're not even really one of us. You know, Moses was rejected in that moment. Knocked back, his plan, his idea of revolution was shattered and fear took over. The Bible tells us that Moses was afraid, probably afraid of his own people and definitely afraid that Pharaoh was gonna kill him. So he ran. He ran for the hills. He fled to a distant land called Midian. And for the next 40 years, Moses lived in hiding. That rejection from his own people, it stung. And the fact that he was a wanted man by Pharaoh meant that he couldn't return. Moses was burnt. He was fearful. He was hiding. And for the next 40 years, 
Moses kept his distance from his own people. His life became somewhat purposeless. He was a poor shepherd, a foreigner with no home, and he was in danger of leaving no legacy behind. But one day, he had this miraculous encounter with God in the burning bush. And God said to him, I've seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out. I've come to rescue them and I want to use you to do it. Exodus 3.10 records God's commandment to Moses. He says, so now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Egypt. God said, Moses, here is your commissioning. The idea you originally had for seeing your people saved, it's time. Now, I want, to, I want you to live out your purpose. I want you to fulfill your destiny. This is what you were born for. I want you to save my people. And I'm going to use you to bring salvation to the Israelites. Now, Moses, go. But Moses isn't convinced. In fact, worse than that, Moses is repulsed. He's become too comfortable playing it safe. He's become, his fear has become too familiar. He's at home in his hiding. Moses doesn't want to do it. And so he lays out five excuses why God's idea is a bad idea. Five reasons to resist the call on his life. And we're going to spend some time unpacking each of these reasons this morning as we do. I've got a feeling that we, we might just find that we have a little bit more in common with Moses than perhaps we thought. Moses' first excuse, his first statement to reject God's call is by saying, I'm just a nobody. Just a nobody. Exodus 3.11 tells us that Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. Who am I? I I'm a nobody. Moses is saying, God, surely you can't use me for this. You've, you've got the wrong person. Can't you see me? Are, are you blind? I'm 80 years old. I'm just a smelly shepherd. And what's more, I'm on the run, and for all I know, there's still a bounty on my head. Who am I to take on this mission? Maybe I had it back in the day. Maybe you could have used me back then, but I'm well past it now. Oh, I'm a nobody. Oh, I'm not good enough. I've got a bad history. You just can't use me, God. But God could use Moses. It was his plan all along. God knew this calling had been planted into Moses long ago. As a younger man, Moses had dreams of this revolution when he killed that Egyptian. And although it didn't happen then, God knew that Moses' experience in his relationships and even the last 40 years being a shepherd in the desert, all those lessons that he'd learned, it meant that Moses was perfectly placed to both lead the Hebrew people and challenge the Egyptian rulers. But Moses couldn't see it. The rejection, the knockback that Moses had experienced 40 years ago, it still stung. It still hurt. It had severely wounded him and Moses didn't want to go through that again. He didn't want to risk his comfortable life. He didn't believe his fear could be overcome. He didn't want to go back to Egypt. And maybe Moses was perfectly placed for this mission at one time in his life. But now Moses considered himself just a nobody. And how could God use a nobody? But God responds with this amazing promise. 
In verse 11 of chapter 3, God says, I will be with you. I will be with you. The creator of the world, the author of salvation himself, the one who knows every single hair on every person's head, I'm on your side, Moses. I'm with you, Moses. I wonder if you can see yourself in Moses' story. If you're here this morning and you've been saved by Jesus, then you've got a calling on your life to share that good news with others, to share that message of salvation, to share that person of salvation. God calls you to go, to go to those that you live, work, and laugh with, to be God's messenger, to be God's witness, to help lead people to himself. But maybe you make the same excuse, like I do, that Moses makes here. I'm just little old me, God. I'm nobody. I'm not a ruler or a prince. I'm not a celebrity or a star. God, how could you use me? You think, oh, maybe that time many years ago I was fired up to share my faith, but, but I'm past that now. Or maybe you think, I remember that time when I was rejected, when I asked that person to church, and, and I'm not going to go through that again. That was humiliating. But I want to encourage you this morning that God has perfect you, perfectly placed you in this world, in this moment, to reach the people that He has placed in your life. You are here for a reason. And don't, don't let a bad experience in your past dictate your future. Don't let fear paralyze you. God wants to use you to save others. And He promises to be with you if you would just allow yourself to be used by Him. Now, God promises that He will be with Moses, but that's not enough for Moses. And surely I can still get out of this. He thinks. In verse 13, Moses continues and he says to God, suppose I go, just suppose you twist my arm enough, God, not now that I'm going, or yes, now I will go, but suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And then they asked me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? This excuse that Moses uses is one that says, how am I going to answer the questions that I know would come my way? Now, I'm not a theologian, God. I don't have all the answers. Where am I going to tell these people when they inevitably ask questions of me? For starters, who do I even tell them that you are? And God says to Moses in verse 14 and 15, God says, I am who I am. And this is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. I want to ask if you can indulge me for a little bit. I'm a little bit of a nerd, but I want to give you a quick lesson in Hebrew. Is that all right? I'm not a Hebrew scholar, uh, and, uh, but I did find this really interesting. I, um, I've always kind of struggled with this part of Exodus, and it's probably one of the most discussed parts of Exodus, this whole bit where God says, I am. And so I dug a little deeper and, and trying to bring a little bit of understanding to what's going on here. So, so God says to Moses that, that he is the I am. And this Hebrew word for I am, which can also be translated in English as to be, consists of three Hebrew letters. He, 
yod and he. He, yod and he, which are a little bit like our H, our Y, and our H in English. So although there's some differences around, uh, or different perspectives around exactly how ancient Hebrew was pronounced, you can, I'm going to throw that up on the screen. You can pronounce this word, eche. Can you say that with me? Eche. Try it again. Eche. Eche. I am. I am. So that's what God is saying when he is saying, I am, eche. Now, as we read in verse 15, God then says, uh, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, is sending you. And you see that word up there that says Lord, it's capitalised. And all throughout the Old Testament, that word Lord is the most commonly used name for God. And in Hebrew, it's also four letters long. And you, because you read Hebrew from right to left, those four letters are yod heh vah yod heh vah And this kind of matches with our Y, H, V, or W, H. And because there's no vowels in Hebrew, there's different thoughts around the world as to exactly how to pronounce this. But one way is Yahweh, Yahweh, Yahweh. It's where we get uh, the word Jehovah, which is translated as Lord from. So the key here is that Eche, the Hebrew word for I am, is very closely related to Yahweh, the Hebrew word for Jehovah or Lord. And in Hebrew, your name is related to who you are, your, your character, your attributes. These Hebrew words, Eche and Yahweh, speak to God's self-existence. No one created God. He is simply, I am. Eche. He has existed, He does exist, and He will always exist. He is unchanging and therefore when he promises something, that promise can be relied upon. Echia speaks to God being a covenant keeper with his people because he can't change his promises. His very nature shows Moses and shows us today that he will never fail us, that he is 100% trustworthy and that we can rely on him. Even when we don't have all the answers, we can depend on God to provide. God is saying here, Moses, I said that I will be with you and that is a trustworthy promise because when I make a promise, I cannot go back on my promises. God says, Moses, when you're asking what will I say to my people when they ask who I am, remind them of the promise I've made. Remind them them of the covenant that I entered into with Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob to give them a land and a future. Remind them of this promise. See, God says, I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, as well as the Dolomites and the Vegemites and all the other ites. I have promised to bring you into a land flowing with milk and honey. The elders of Israel will listen to you, Moses. I promise. I will help provide you with the answers that people ask. To to share Jesus with people, you don't need to be a theologian. You don't need to know any Hebrew. You don't even have to have all the answers. 
You know, people will respect you if you say, hey, that's a really good question. I don't know the answer to that, but let me find out and get back to you. Now, God promises His followers that He will never leave them or forsake them. He promises that they are loved and accepted as His children. We just have to depend on those promises. It doesn't matter what other people think, what other people say, because God has your back. You are loved and accepted by God through Jesus Christ. So Moses has been given a lesson by God. Over the first two questions, Moses has asked, who am I? And God has answered, I am who. His excuses that I'm a a nobody or I'm not a theologian are not enough. But Moses isn't finished yet. Exodus chapter four, he continues. He, He answers, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say the Lord didn't really appear to you? What if they say you're making it all up? What if they say none of this is real? God, I'm not convincing at all, says Moses. I couldn't sell ice to the Eskimos. I'm just not that convincing. Now, in this story here, God gives Moses some pretty cool tricks to prove that it was, he was on a mission from God. God gave Moses this stick with amazing abilities. If Moses threw it to the floor, it would turn into a snake. And then if he picked the snake up from the tail, it would turn back into a staff. God also made Moses' cloak pretty powerful. If he put his hand into his cloak and brought it back out, it would have disease all over it. But then when he put it back inside the cloak, that disease would would disappear and the hand would be clean again. And God says, if they don't believe either of those two things, then I'm going to let you pull some water out of the Nile and drop it on the ground and it'll turn into blood. Now, all three of these displays of God's power have quite a bit of symbolism and meaning to them, which we won't go into right now. But for Moses' audience, these acts would would have proved that it was God who was moving, that He was ready to save His people. I wonder if if you use similar excuses to Moses to resist the call to share the good news about Jesus. You think, oh, I don't want to start a conversation about Jesus because I'm just not that convincing. Well, what if they laugh at me? What if they tell me that it's all rubbish? What if they've got a really good argument that I can't rebut? Now, none of us have a, a tricky stick or a crazy cloak or can turn water into blood. But we do have something to prove that God has moved in our own lives. We do have something that God can use to convince people, something that they can't argue with, and that's your story. Your story, your testimony of how Jesus has changed your life is a powerful tool that you can use and that that Jesus wants to use to share with others. See, your story of salvation points people to the story of salvation that is available to them in Jesus Christ. And this year at Gateway, we are encouraging you to share your story. There's a whole bunch of ways you can share your story. You can share it just in a conversation. You can share it on social media and you can, you can share it with your church family in a life group or even on our screens. Now today though, I wanna share with you my story and I actually wanna show you how you can share your story on social media. To be honest, as I was preparing this message, and uh, I, I realised that I have been making a bunch of excuses as to why I hadn't shared my story. I actually went to record it once back in January, and, and uh, my phone ran out of battery. What a great excuse. 
But since then, I've used excuses like I don't have enough time or my story's too similar to other people's or I don't even really use social media that much. But for me, the time for excuses is done. And uh, I'm going to share my message, my story this morning and post it to my Instagram account. I posted the story to Facebook earlier. Uh, and I'd love you guys to be part of it. You cool to be part of my story? Come on, you cool to be part of my story? Okay, cool. Mel uh, is going to give me this. My... Uh, I just want a public service announcement first. This is not my selfie stick. I would never be that vain. It's my father-in-law's. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> he uses it all the time. He loves it. Um, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share my story this morning. And I'd, uh, I'd love you guys to be a part of it. I'm, uh, <clears throat> I'd love you to just kind of cheer and clap at the end, if that's all right. Okay, are we going to make this work? Are we going to make it work? All right, here we go. Ready? All right. Well, Jesus has saved me from myself. Before I followed Jesus, I was living a really selfish, me-focused life. As a young person, I suffered with a lot of self-doubt and self-loathing. And because of that, I engaged in a lot of risky behaviours and made some really dumb decisions. I made a commitment to Jesus when I was about 20, and He completely turned my life around. He has given me a heart for others, and I'm no longer just living selfishly for myself. Jesus has replaced my fears with his love, and he's given me a greater understanding of both myself and my purpose. He's given me a passion for working with people to use their lives, to see their lives impacted by Jesus. And now I'm doing things like this, sharing with and loving and serving awesome people at our church. I am so thankful that Jesus has given me a hope and a future, and I'm so grateful for the many good things he's put in my life. This is my story. Cool. It's that simple. It's that simple. And then it's actually even simpler to kind of upload it to, uh, to social media. And Mel's going to show us how this works. It's really, really simple. Uh, you, can, you can upload it to Facebook or, or social media or, uh, or whatever media you have. Snapchat for all of you who are under... 15 or whatever. But um, you can upload it. Uh, you can just go to your favorite social media channel, select your story, um, put a filter on it, make yourself look a little better looking, uh, and then upload it with a, a tag. Just tag Gateway Baptist Church in it and give it a hashtag of Gateway Stories of Salvation. And then you just, uh, you can share it. I already shared it to Facebook this morning, so you can, uh, you can share it. And now it's out there for the world to see. The cool thing is you can also then in the very same moment email it to us at the church because we would love to play it here. If you email it to us, we'd love to use it at some point and you can just simply email stories at gatewaybaptist.com.au. You then select your video, chuck it in the email, push send and you're done. That whole process, if you're, if you're good with technology, takes about two minutes, two minutes. If you don't know how to do it, ask anybody under 30. They would love to help you out. But it's really quite simple, albeit a little bit scary, to share your story. But it's so important. And we really want to give you some encouragement to do that this year. And I encourage you to practice telling it. You, use, you do it over and over again and, and, and find a way to share it just within a minute so that you've got, you have something powerful to share. Your story is incredible. Your story is unique. And I believe that God wants to use your story to encourage people to encounter Him this year. 
Anyway, back to, to poor old Moses. Despite God showing him an amazing proof of his power, Moses is still making excuses, still looking to get out of this mission. In verse 10 of chapter four, Moses continues, and he says to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. Pardon me, let me go. Don't make me part of this anymore. Oh, hang on, I'm still on Facebook. Oh, there you go. Um, don't, let me get out of it. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. Man, Moses is getting desperate here with his excuses. He's scrambling right now. He's saying, I'm not capable. I'm not capable. Maybe he had a stutter or, or maybe he couldn't think under pressure. Or maybe like me, he always could think of the perfect comeback three hours too late. But maybe, maybe he's, he's clutching at straws here really, isn't he? He's clutching at straws. He's scraping the bottom of the excuse barrel. Remember in Acts chapter seven earlier, we read that Stephen called Moses uh, educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, a man who was powerful in speech and action. And here Moses is saying, I, 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 I can't speak, speak good. Send somebody who can speak gooder. It's a lame excuse. And I reckon like Moses, we develop some similarly lame excuses to try and get out of the calling that God has placed on our lives. God, I'm worried that I'll look stupid. God, I'm worried about what people think. I'm worried that I'm gonna get laughed at. The list goes on and on. I don't have time to invest in anyone's life. I don't, I don't have all the answers. I don't wanna ruin a friendship. And God, does it even really matter? I reckon I've used all of those excuses from time to time. But God's bigger than any of those excuses. He knows us. He, he created us. He's the one who knit us together. And that's how he answers Moses here. He says in verses 11 and 12, the Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go and I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. God is bigger than any excuse that Moses or we could throw at him. If we've been saved by Jesus, we have been called to play our part to see others saved. And God promises to go with us, to help us, to give us the words to be able to share his story with others. We can make all the excuses in the world, but we can't get away from the fact that Jesus, in his very last words to his disciples, the last commandment he gave them after his, uh, before his death, he said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, Jesus promised, surely I will be with you until the very end of the age. Surely he will be with us. Jesus promises to be with us. We don't do this alone. He's not sending us out with this message of salvation all on our lonesome. We might not know exactly what to say right now, but, but God promises to go with us. To, he promises to give us words to say to people, to spread this message of salvation. We just have to be obedient. But Moses is the exact opposite. He's defiant. God has rebutted all of his excuses, but he thinks that he's got one final way to get out of following the call of God in his life. In verse 13, Moses says, pardon your servant, Lord, 
please just send someone else. And he sounds really polite here, but effectively, Moses is saying, I'm not going. I'm not the right one, right one for this. How about no, God? And here's how God responds. In verse 14, the Bible says, the Lord's anger burned against Moses. Now, I think I know a little bit of what God experienced here. It's a little bit like uh, some sort of experience that I have with uh, my kids very frequently. You know, it's like when, when you, your child wants a snack to eat just before dinner and keeps pestering you about it. Dad, can I have something to eat? No, we're about to have dinner. Dad, can I have a snack? I said, no. Dad, can I please have something to eat? I'm starving. I said, no. And it just wears you down. It just wears you down. That, that continually whining or making excuses in this case for Moses, it gets you angry. And God becomes angry because Moses is disobedient. God is angry at Moses' faithlessness, his lack of trust, his fear that is paralyzing him. But I love that even in his anger, God is still gracious to Moses. He comes up with a practical plan to help Moses by calling Aaron, his brother, to become a spokesperson and helper on this mission to bring salvation to the Hebrews. I love how this idea of having a helper is mirrored in our mission today. Today, Jesus gives us a helper, the Holy Spirit, who helps us as we witness to those that we live, work and laugh with. If you're a follower of Jesus here today, the Holy Spirit lives in you, guiding you in spiritual conversations with your co-workers, quickening your pulse to pray for those, for your neighbours, and giving you a burden for a particular person to invite to church. Don't close yourself off to the Holy Spirit. Be obedient to God's call on your life. Be open to be used by Him. And you might just be surprised at what He does. So finally, after God has shot down all of Moses' excuses, and perhaps Moses has finally been spurred to action by God's anger, he obeys. He gathers up his family, he meets up with Aaron, and he returns to Egypt to speak to the Israelite elders. And you know what? The Bible says in Exodus 4, verses 30 and 31, that Aaron ended up telling them everything the Lord had said to Moses. And Moses also performed the signs before the people. And they what? They believed. They believed. God was true to His promises that the Israelites would listen. And they did. Moses' fear proved to be unfounded. His hesitancy was misplaced. God was true to His Word. And over the coming weeks, we'll see what else God did through Moses' obedience. But God, sorry, but Moses had five big excuses that he used to try and get out of the call that God had placed in his life. He said, I'm a nobody. I'm not a theologian. I'm not, I'm not convincing. I'm not capable. And ultimately, I'm not even going. And if we give it some thought, we're not really all that different to Moses. Sure, we might not have killed somebody in our past and we might not be 80-year-old shepherds, but we've all got our own reasons and our excuses to try and justify why God couldn't or wouldn't want to use us to help bring salvation to others. But 
But God has placed this call on all of our lives. For those of us in this room who are already followers of Jesus, we've been saved so that we can play a part in helping others be saved. Like Moses, so often our excuses and ultimately our our fear stands in our way. Steve Keating, a leadership guru, says this, excuses, as much as anything, limit a person's opportunity to reach their full potential. And fear is the biggest driver of habitual decision, uh, excuse-making. Fear is the biggest driver of habitual excuse-making. We have all sorts of different fears. Fear of failure, fear of change, fear of others, fear of looking foolish, fear of making mistakes, even for some of us, a fear of success. But we can't let those fears paralyze us from sharing the message of salvation. We can't allow fear to get the better of us. Those who are are heading towards a Christless eternity can't afford for us to be struck down by fear. These people need a saviour. Now, I wanna share really openly with you for a moment and that I use these excuses. Sharing Jesus is actually a hard, it's a hard thing to do. It's a challenge for me to do. But I also know that sharing Jesus is an absolute imperative of the Christian life. And one of the things that, that I was contemplating and considering in returning to Gateway and taking on the role of campus pastor is a fear of becoming stuck in a bubble. Now, as, you're, as a pastor, as a leader, I can't be authentic if I'm telling you to do something that I wouldn't do myself. And I was concerned that if I came back to this role, many of those that I live, work, and laugh with, they're, they're already saved. My, my family's saved, and I'm pretty sure most of the people at this workplace are saved. There's one or two I've got some questions about. Uh, but, but how could I authentically challenge people to share Jesus if I wasn't sharing Jesus myself? So as we returned to Australia, I was praying and and thinking of ways that that I could share Jesus with people in my world. Now, please don't hear this as me big noting myself or telling you exactly what you should do. I I probably wanna share this more as an accountability thing. You could pray for me through the year even. Because I'm certainly not the world's greatest evangelist, but God has still called me to, to do evangelism. So when we came home to Oz, we, uh, we made a decision to try and be a one-car family. And that works fine for us during the week. I think we've got a good pattern sorted. But Sundays were always going to be a big challenge. Now, I get along to church on Sunday at ridiculous o'clock. And I'm not going to drag my wife and three young kids out of, out of bed on a Sunday to get here two hours before the service starts. So I decided that I would get someone else to drive me to church. And so each Sunday, almost every Sunday morning since we got back, I've had a stranger pick me up and bring me here using the, uh, the Uber app on Uber. My Uber. I got an Uber driver every week that brings me to church. And every Sunday morning, my, my heart, my prayer has been to have a conversation with this stranger who is taking me to church. It's kind of ironic that, that they're taking me to church and ultimately I want to bring them to church. But man, it's been, to be honest, it's been a little bit scary, but it's also been a lot of fun. Now, I've actually got a personal goal this year to invite 40 people to get to know Jesus or come along to church. And there's been challenges along the way. It hasn't all been easy. You know, nobody has become a Christian or shared their story in the baptismal because they've taken me to church in an Uber one morning. But I have had some awesome opportunities to pray 
with a couple of people. A number of people, a number of my drivers have expressed an interest in coming to church. To be honest, I'm not even sure if they have. And if you're here this morning, hey, it's great to have you here. But even the last couple of weeks, I've had the same Uber driver two Sundays in a row. And we've started a, a deeper conversation. I now know that he's got a three-month-old child, that he, was, uh, he grew up in India, and in that community, there's all sorts of faiths, but he actually went to church in India. And here, he goes to the Sikh temple over on Logan Road. I don't know what God's doing, but I'm, I'm actually really excited every Sunday morning, jumping in that Uber and having 10, 15 minutes to kind of uh, ask somebody some questions and share my story of salvation. I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what that looks like for you. Now, I know many of you have got people in your lives that are not yet Christians. You've been praying for them for years. But if you don't have somebody in your life who you're praying for, can I encourage you to ask God who He is showing you, who He is bringing into your life that you might be able to share the story of salvation with? Friends, some people might suggest to you that faith and religion in this country is dead. That Australia is fast becoming a secular nation and there's not much interest in faith anymore. And while it's certainly true that less people identify with the the Christian faith today than even just 10 years ago, what if God is about to do something truly amazing in this country? Recent research conducted by the McCrindle Group has shown that there are many people open to faith in our communities. Their research found that more than half of this, more than half of Australians are open to changing their religious views given the right circumstances and the right evidence. Further, two thirds of non Christians who are already warm to Christianity are open to changing their views. Two out of three. See, there is fertile ground out there. And you can go to mccrindle.org.au to find out some more of that research. But that same study found that one out of every four people, when asked by somebody that they respected, would come to church when invited. One in four. And we are are seeing stories weekly, both here and across all of our campuses, of people making a commitment to Jesus. Just last Sunday, solely here at McKenzie, we had 10 people who responded to the Gospel. What if God is doing something amazing? What if God is inviting you to be part of it? I was listening to a a podcast this week from a a pastor and a researcher in Melbourne, Australia. His name is Mark Sayers. And in this podcast, he described a pattern that God often uses to renew the world. He said that we have been through times in the church's history There have been times when churches have emptied, Christlessness has been prevalent, that people have turned away from God. But Mark says, uses this image of a beach at low tide. He says that throughout the church's history, there have been great times when it feels like the tide has gone out, when the water has receded and just left a great expanse of sand, which is now uncovered. But just like the tide, you know that just beyond the breakers, the water is churning and energy is building. And Sayers asks, what if we're in a moment? What if we're in a moment where the tide has not gone out permanently? It's just gone out for a bit. 
And the longer that tide is out, the longer it begins to churn with power and build in energy to come rushing back in. What if God actually wants to, to send that water back in and now it's just a time of preparation and we need to get ourselves ready for that water, for that tide to return in? What if God is just getting ready to see hundreds and thousands put their faith in Him? What if God is just about to send more people into our churches, into this church? What if God is about to do something amazing in this country? I actually reckon He's already begun and He's inviting us to play a part in it. This is a moment I believe that God wants to move. This is a moment where we need to overcome our fear, be filled with God's boldness and courage and share salvation with those that we live, work and laugh with. The story of salvation is powerful. Jesus' death and resurrection is a powerful story. Perhaps though you're here this morning and it's not actually part of your story yet. Your story of salvation is not yet fully written. You haven't made a decision to trust Jesus yet. Maybe you're here this morning and God's had you on a journey. You've heard that Jesus died on the cross for you. You've listened as new life in Christ has been offered, but you've never actually taken that step of commitment to take your place in the story. This morning, I'm gonna invite you, if that is you, I'm gonna invite you to join with us as we, as we pray a short prayer to accept Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. Just to, to pray a short prayer that, that we're inviting you to pray to accept Jesus. And if you're ready to accept Jesus this morning, would you, uh, would you pray along with me? And why don't all of us pray this prayer. Some of you, you might be praying it for the very first time and I'd love you to let us know that after we pray it. But why don't all of us pray this prayer this morning? That's going to pop up on the screen. Let's pray. You can just pray it alongside me, just under your, under your breath. Jesus Christ, I'm sorry for the things that I have done in my life. Please forgive me. I turn from everything that I know is wrong and I choose to follow You. Thank You that You died on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven. Thank You that You offer me forgiveness and the promise of new life. Please come into my life so I can know Your power and Your grace forever. Amen. Just want to invite you, if you were here this morning and you prayed that prayer for the very first time, can I, or a prayer like that, can I get you to raise your hand really quickly? We'd just love to acknowledge you and applaud you and celebrate you. Yeah, well, that's great news. Good on you. Anybody else? Let's just give them a grand applause. That's really cool. That's really awesome. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to give you some resources, put some resources in your hand so that you can understand more about what it means to follow Jesus. And if that was you this morning, we'd love for you to go up to the welcome lounge at the back of our service this morning. We'd, uh, we'd love to give you some, uh, some things that will help you in your journey. It's really cool. After Moses died, a man named Joshua took over the leadership of the Israelite people. And as Joshua looked across the Jordan River with the, the land that God had promised to him, just across the waters, the, the land that God had promised to the people that he now led, God said to him, Joshua, 
as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And he said to Joshua, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Like Moses, like Joshua, we struggle with fear. Let's leave that verse up there if you could, Mel. We struggle with excuses. We all struggle to share our story. I know I do. But I believe that God wants to speak boldness and courage into our lives this morning. He wants to give you the courage to start a conversation. He wants to give you the boldness to share your story with a friend. He wants, you to, remove, he wants to remove your fear for you and equip you to share your faith. You may have been making excuses just like Moses. Fear may have stopped you in the past, but God says, I'm calling you to go. You are to share my story of salvation. Be strong and be courageous. Let go of those excuses. Do not be afraid for I am with you. Trust me, open your mouth. Let me give you words to share. Let me give you words to say and just watch what I'm about to do. Can I ask us all to jump on our feet this morning? As we do that, our, our prayer and our pastoral team are, are gonna come down the front. And I, I wanna encourage you this morning, if, if, if God is stirring something within you, if you know that you, you need a fresh uh, blessing of His boldness and His courage, that you need His strength and His love to drive out your fear, we would love to pray with you this morning. We would love to pray an affirmation of Jesus' presence in your life. If that's you this morning, we would love to pray with you. So please start coming down now. And I reckon there's a few people here this morning as well who, uh, who have made excuses why they're not gonna share their story in the baptism. Now, you know you've been following Jesus for a long time and, and, uh, and He has challenged you a number of times to take that step of publicly declaring your faith being able to share your faith amongst friends and family here so that you can be equipped and empowered and released to share your story with those out in the world. If that's you this morning, if, if God has, uh, has put on your heart to get baptised, to overcome the excuses, I'd really love you to come down the front here and just uh, Susan is gonna pray with you. She'd love to pray with you if you uh, uh, have made excuses in the past about why I can't get baptised. And she'd love to get your details and help you on that journey. But if you're here this morning, you would just love uh, to, for, for God to give you a new boldness and a new courage to overcome your fear so that you can, be, you can share your story with others. Please come now. We're gonna share this great, sing this great song together. But if you'd like some prayer this morning, please come down the front. We would love to pray with you. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If you've made a decision to follow Christ or would like us to pray for you, please go to gatewaybaptist.com.au and let us know.